Satan is confined. He is no longer affecting human race. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the future. Revelation chapter 20. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And the name of this program is Bible Discovery TV, and it comes down to the last three chapters of Revelation. This is really good. Corey's here. Corey, what's going on? I'm going to be taking a look at the ever controversial James Ossuary today. Ryan? Well, most of us are aware that the book of Revelation is a book full of sevens, but today I want to take a look at the more subtle sevens of Revelation. It's, it's very good segments. Look forward to it. <laughs> uh, Janice, what are you doing? Well, you might recognize this phrase, the devil made me do it. Okay, very good. We're going to study this for the next 28 minutes. So get your Bible out and your Bible guide to help you go through the Bible. And let's open up to Revelation 20 and look at what God is saying today. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 15. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more Till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, 
standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 15. Revelation chapter 20. Now this is very, very fascinating. We, we're taking one chapter over the next three days, the end of the year, because we're going to get used to what God is telling us. Now the book of life is the opposite of the second death. The book of life is the opposite of the second death. The first several events that take place is the arrival of God in what is called the catching up. Now, I believe the Bible teaches us to be ready for the catching up, which I believe will soon take place. But the last three chapters of Revelation show us exactly what is to come. For example, we learn that the devil will be confined with chains in the abyss during the thousand-year reign of Christ. This means that Satan's spiritual principalities and his powers will be defeated so that people will be able to freely come to God without the influence of Satan. However, at the end of this time, Satan will be released and attempt to fight against God again. But it will be short-lived. And those who join the fight against God will be judged by God. Now, a lot of people try to figure out why is this happening and why is the Lord making a big deal of all of this? Get your Bible guide and turn to today's passage, Revelation 20. And as we study it, it's a long read, but as we look at it, we'll go slowly. We need to understand what Satan's last stand is. And Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would help us to understand exactly what it is that you have done. Understand exactly what it is that we can do to overcome. And help us, Lord, as we look at the end of time, to get ready for your coming back and your catching up now. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen and amen. Now, as we look at Revelation chapter 20, it becomes interesting because verse one says, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after, this, after these things, he must be released for a little while. Now this tells me something very important as I sort of confine it and redefined it into two sentences, Satan is confined so that he cannot deceive anyone for a thousand years. 
What does that mean? We are responsible for our own decisions and actions. Let me tell you something. In today's world, that's what we're responsible for. You know, there was a famous comedian who used to say, the devil made me do it in his act. And let me tell you something. That's funny because it's not true. We make decisions on a daily basis. But God is showing us that he bound Satan and he's showing us that the decisions we make are what we have to live with. We make a decision to go with God and allow his presence to fill us, or we make a decision to reject God and take all of the things this world has to offer instead. Now, Jesus Christ also did that in his temptation, but he chose the Father God. Very important. If you're a Christian, you will follow what Jesus chose. All right. Revelation chapter 20, verses 4. It says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, I find that fascinating. So this thousand years is many things, but one thing it is, is a time when these people can live with him. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and the Christ and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. This is fascinating. Those who lost their life for Christ did not lose their eternal life, but they are rewarded. They're rewarded. We must see our life in the eternal perspective. I say to a lot of people, what's your eternal purpose? And they say, eternal purpose? I don't know. I haven't died yet. When I die, I'll get there and figure it out. Wrong. Eternity begins right now, man. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to focus on your eternal perspective. And our lives gear ourselves for that. So God shows us now where we will be. And we're overcoming these things as Jesus Christ gives us victory. That is the greatness of God and his sanctification process. There's a whole reason. I should do a sermon on that sometime. It takes more time than we have here. But we'll do a sermon on the sanctification process of God, how he works and why he does it. Anyway, I don't have time now. Let's go on to Revelation 20, verse 7. It says, Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out and deceive the nations which are in four corners of the earth, the whole nation, that's Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea, many. Verse 9, and they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, 
small, great standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, and each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Wow. And that brings me to this point. The book of life records the names of those who love and serve God. Satan is is heard no more. He's gone. That's it. He's done. He's finished. Satan is wiped out, beloved. And let me tell you something. That is the end result of the enemy of God. Do you know the enemy of God? He's sin. It's, it's, it's personal selfishness. That's the breeds, the enemy of God in you. And that's why you come to the Lord and confess your sins and he will change you. You know, you don't have to do it all yourself. Jesus Christ will change you. Today, you and I are going to be taking a look at a pretty controversial artifact that potentially comes from the time period of the New Testament and specifically focuses in on a family member of Jesus. We're going to be talking about the so-called James Ossuary today. An ossuary is a bone box that was used in the first century AD. And it is what it sounds like. The uh, deceased person was laid out in a tomb. They were left so that the flesh would desiccate and then their bones would be collected a year or two later and placed into a bone box or an ossuary. So let's take a look at the pretty spectacular claims of the James ossuary. James, the brother of Jesus, is mentioned a few times in the New Testament, first as a skeptic of Jesus and then as a changed man leading the Church of Jerusalem. Both non-Christian and Christian sources record that James was killed for his faith on the authority of the Sanhedrin. Josephus says that he was stoned. The Christian sources say he was pushed from the pinnacle of the temple where he was addressing the crowd and then stoned when the fall didn't kill him. In the early 2000s, news broke about an interesting ossuary dated to the time of James that had an inscription reading, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. This erupted the scholarly and popular worlds into a frenzy of forgery claims, news articles, documentaries, and a famous legal trial. But what do we know about the ossuary? First, the admitted reason that most scholars dislike the ossuary is because it's an unprovenanced artifact. That is, it was not discovered in an official excavation, but was looted and sold on the antiquities market, a fate of countless antiquities that no doubt hold many clues about the past. 
The issue for scholars is that if they study and promote unprovenance artifacts, they're fueling looting in which priceless information is lost. If there is a market for unprovenanced artifacts, there will be looters who will supply that market. Not good for historical study. However, when an important artifact comes to light, should it be ignored on the basis of its discovery? There are a few general facts about the James Ossuary that are important to know. First, an ossuary was used for secondary burial. A body would be laid out in a tomb and allowed to decompose. Then the bones would be gathered, placed in the stone ossuary, and put to the side of the tomb, allowing for further family burials. This practice had a short life in Jerusalem, lasting from the 1st century BC to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Despite a lengthy legal battle charging the ossuary's owner with forgery, none of the expert witnesses called concluded that the inscription was a forgery, resulting in the owner's acquittal. In fact, two of the world's leading experts in ancient inscriptions from this time have studied the inscription and declared it to be authentic. Other scholars disagree with them vehemently, but they're admittedly not experts in ancient inscriptions. Even with an authentic inscription, the James Ossuary is only potentially the bone box of James the Just. Statistically, it's been concluded that there is at least a 32% probability that there were two James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus, living in Jerusalem at the time, and an 18% probability that there were three. Though it is unusual for a family member other than the father to be given to a person in death, meaning there was something special about James's brother Jesus that made him want to be linked with him in death. So there we go. Either way that you land on this, the James Ossuary is a really, really interesting artifact that potentially has ties, you know, very close ties, not only with early Christian history, the earliest Christian history, but also with Christ himself. Very good. Excellent. Ryan? Yeah, well, for the most part of our journey through Revelation, I've been really focused on some of the different occurrences of seven in the book. And it's definitely no secret that Revelation is a book full of sevens. I mean, even the casual reader will be able to make a long list of all the instances of that number. But what I'm interested in today are the more subtle sevens of Revelation. It really is amazing how many sevens are in there, and many probably still lie undiscovered. But here are a few you may not know about. That revelation as a book of sevens is exceedingly obvious, even for the casual reader. Some of the more perspicuous occurrences include the seven lampstands, seven spirits, seven stars, seven churches, seven lamps, the seven-sealed scroll, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath, seven promises to the overcomer, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven thunders, seven thousand, seven heads, seven crowns, seven plagues, seven mountains, seven kings, and so on. There are, however, numerous other occurrences of seven that aren't so apparent. For example, while it is obvious that there are seven letters to seven churches, what may not be immediately perceivable is that each letter itself is composed of seven elements. One, the name of the church. Two, the chosen title of Christ. Three, a commendation. Four, Christ's concerns. Five, an exhortation. Six, a promise to the overcomer and seven, the close. Revelation also has seven personages, including the woman, male child, red dragon, seven-headed beast, false prophet, Michael, and the lamb. 
There are seven years of judgments, seven I am statements of Christ, seven doxologies in heaven, seven new things, and even seven beatitudes. The first is, blessed is he who reads and those who hear and keep those things. Number two, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Three, blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. Four, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Five, blessed and holy is he who is part in the first resurrection. Six, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And number seven, blessed are those who do his commandments. Although there are disagreements surrounding how Revelation ought to be interpreted, there's no debating its heptatic or sevenfold structure. And we've only just scratched the surface. In fact, as the late Dr. Chuck Misler quipped, I suspect that it's probably not possible to make an exhaustive list of the sevens. Whatever number you come up with, there's probably seven times that many. So this presentation was just a small sampling of the more subtle sevens found in Revelation. But hopefully this will spur some of you on to search for some more examples as well. You know, God loves it when we spend time with Him and His Word. Yeah, it really is true. And as we focus on this, the last couple of chapters of Revelation, you know, we have to pay attention to what God is saying. He's saying, I'm coming back quickly. And again, I've never felt as strongly as saying that he's coming back soon. Get ready, as I feel now. And uh, anyway, there you go. So that's good, Ryan. Thank you. Janice? And let's be prepared. We're coming up to the end of the year, which means we are going to start Bible Discovery TV all over again next year in January with Genesis chapter 1. And if you're interested in getting our Bible guides to help you with your study, then call or write or go online. You can download them right there. They're available for you. We would love to have you join us and, uh, and study and learn along with us. It'll be 32 years uh, of this program next year. And you might say, well, how are you learning anything new? That's how in-depth the Bible is. There is so much for all of us to learn. So um, if you're thinking about it, join with us. Now, this is a really interesting passage, isn't it? Where Satan is bound for a thousand years, it says here, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. And then it says, but after these things, he must be released for a little while. When I read that, my mind went immediately to a phrase that I used to hear as a, as a young girl, a comedian, he would uh, play the character of, uh, of a lady named Geraldine. And Geraldine was always getting herself into trouble. And she never took it upon herself to say that it was something that she did. She wouldn't confess to it. But her line was always, the devil made me do it, no matter what it was that she did. And of course, everybody that would watch this would laugh because of the way this comedian would, would put it. And I got thinking to myself, you know, in this period of time that we're reading about, Satan is going to be bound so that he does not have any influence, but then he will be released again. And you think, well, after all that time, will we see humanity at that point going back? What am I trying to say? You know, we need to live our lives now, not with the attitude that the devil made me do it, not taking advantage of the amazing grace that we have extended to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to live for him 100% with 
his help. We need to not make excuses. We need to not compromise. We need to know his word. We know his word by reading it, but not just reading it. It needs to get not just in our minds, but it needs to get into our heart so that we can put that word into action. And for a lot of us, that means changes. Some changes that don't feel very comfortable, things that we've done the same for all these years, but now Christ is asking us to change that, that it's not right, that we're not true ambassadors for him if we continue willfully choosing to do that. And if we're willfully choosing against what Christ says, then I would say you need to check your relationship and to see whether you truly are serving the Lord Jesus, whether you truly are a Christian. Those are harsh words, but they're the truth. If you don't fully submit, if you're willfully going against what the Lord Jesus is telling you, then you need to to get your life right with the Lord Jesus. None of us are perfect. Only the Lord is. And he's the only one that can help us. Otherwise, God wouldn't have sent Jesus to die for our sins, to be able to forgive us. So it's only through his help that we can make ourselves right. So our lives are a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. So instead of making excuses like the devil made me do it, or I was just born that way, let's make sure our lives are lined up with the word of God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure you're on our mailing list to get our Bible guide starting next year in a few days because we send it out automatically every month. And if you're on that mailing list, you will get it. So make sure you call us or write us or go online and uh, you can make your adjustments there to whatever you do, your address or whatever, but make sure you get a part of that. Today, we need to pray and we say, Lord, I praise your name for saving me. Help me, Lord, and I thank you for doing so. Praise your holy name. 